Hey guys, welcome to the Couple Nurses Podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Slarchik. This is a podcast where we tackle hot nursing topics and current health news, one conversation at a time. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing, liking. We appreciate it. If you're new, welcome. You'll not be disappointed. PD, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. A little tired, but I'll manage. Mentally strong. He's got a nice workout in. Does some deadlifts. Probably too much deadlifts, but, oh, man. but we'll see how I feel tomorrow. But today, guys, we'd like to welcome Andrea Dalzell, also known as a seated nurse. She studied biology and neuroscience in college while earning her bachelor's degree in nursing. Andrea was diagnosed with transverse myelitis at the age of five and began using a wheelchair full-time at the age of 12. She's an advocate and inspiration to many nurses around the world. You can find her on her Instagram at the seated nurse. How's it going, Andrea? It's going good. How's it going? It's going pretty nice weather. It's supposed to be very nice this week in Chicago. So if you want to go to the beach, highly recommend it. I will. I will. So I have so many questions. Where do we start? So give us a little background of the diagnosis that you had to face at an early age and then the struggle when, when it became to starting nursing school and all that. Yeah. So at the age of five, I was diagnosed with uh, transverse myelitis and it sounds really scary, but it, it can be. And for me, it, took away my ability to walk. Uh, it's literally my body attacked my spinal cord and my spinal cord's nerves were exposed. And we all know when the spinal cord nerves are exposed, they damage. So I'm considered to be an incomplete paraplegic, which is why I use a wheelchair now. Mm -hmm. I've used a wheelchair full time since the age of 12. And I think 12 for anyone is a critical age. We're like finding our voice. We're finding out who we are. We're hitting puberty, right? Everything is happening at that age. And I don't know if it was a, a blessing or a curse at that time to have it because it gave me my insight to what life was going to be like, right? So I had to learn to adapt my disability to what I wanted to do in life, who I wanted to be, kind of find my voice. And I found it while having a disability versus, you know, experiencing life at an older age and then having to like reset on who I wanted to be. Right. So you asked about nursing and how it all played together. Well, for me, I didn't always want to be a nurse when I was in high school and I was going through everything. I used to tell my doctors all the time that I was going to come back and sue them. I had every intention of being a lawyer. And I was coming back for every doctor who ever put me through any amount of pain. <laughs> uh, and my doctor, one of my doctors actually attended my graduation and wrote in my memory book, please, anything but a doctor. I think he knew I was really serious about coming back after him. <laughs> uh, so in college, I was studying, like you said, bio and neuroscience in hopes of becoming a doctor at one point. And in auditing medical school classes, I realized that the medical model just wasn't for me. I didn't fit the model. I didn't like um, treating people as a disease process or looking at them as a disease process. And therefore, I kind of shifted gears and nursing is how I kind of came to the forefront and where I wanted to be. And, and um, when it came to nursing, did you think that you weren't, you weren't able to do it because of the disability? Like, what are the hardships that you faced when it came to maybe starting the program where you kind of like looked upon and things like that? Um, so I didn't like do nursing because I saw other nurses with disabilities. Like, I definitely did not see anyone that looked like me. It wasn't like a deciding factor. 
I just knew that it was something that I wanted to do and I was going to do it. And I've always had that gun ho attitude, whereas I thought I was going to do it. I'm going to go do it and I'm going to figure out a way to get it done. Whereas I had no idea the amount of struggle that I was going to face just getting into uh, the program and staying into the program. So I actually didn't have too many problems getting into the nursing program because my program went based on grades. I didn't have to interview beforehand. I didn't have to meet with anyone beforehand. I just needed to take a pre-entrance exam, send in my grades, and hopefully beat out the competition to get a spot. And I did that, got in, and on orientation day, which is mandatory, I show up and my professors kind of like pull me out of class and are saying to me, we don't think you can be a nurse. Uh -huh. We're not sure how you're covered to be a nurse. Um, with your disability we don't know if hospitals will accept you you can leave for the day and we'll get back to you well because of the fact that you know i i know what the ada means the americans with disabilities act i know how it covers in education i had that prior knowledge i was like well i'm gonna stay for orientation day and afterward we can figure it out because i knew if i had left they can use that to say, well, she didn't make uh, orientation, mandatory orientation without prior consent or whatever, mm -hmm. and then say that I couldn't start that semester. So I wasn't going to fall into that trap. <laughs> wow. And how was it like doing clinicals, for example, with like, you know, um, being in a wheelchair? Yeah. I've, honestly, you are the first person to, um, we are interviewing that has something like this. So it's very interesting because I've done travel nursing. I did multiple contracts. I worked at multiple hospitals. I've never seen anybody like this. So it's it's truly an inspiration. Yeah. So it was a major learning curve, right? So for everyone, just like how you said, you've never seen someone with a disability or even a wheelchair user on the floor of any contracts or any hospitals that you've worked at, right? So for me, it's the same thing. I've never seen someone in my position doing the job. So for me, it was a lot of research. I knew I wasn't the only one and I couldn't have been the only one. So I needed to find those uh, connects that have done these jobs before, um, even in getting into the program and then, you know, having that fight with these professors thinking that I couldn't do it. I was researching and we found like some nurses on YouTube that was like, she was a nurse. She went through nursing school in a chair and they just, we didn't have all the details and we knew that it was going to be the learning curve, but we knew that somebody had done it before. So they were willing to give me the chance. Getting into a clinical setting, however, and dealing with nurse managers on units, you know, and dealing with uh, patients on a different sense than just being in the textbook sense. Uh, it was definitely a learning curve. It didn't uh, just come natural. I wasn't allowed to just be a student. You know, any nursing student, you're so focused on just getting in the knowledge and making sure that you can take what you're learning on paper and transpiring it to uh, how you're interacting with patients on the floor. I was never allowed to just do that. Like I had to think 20 steps ahead, how I was going to keep sterile, how I was going to move a patient, how I was going to be able to perform the way that I needed to perform when I had no clue how to actually adapt. Like I had to figure it out on the spot all the time. Uh, and sometimes nurse managers were like, oh no, she can't be on our floor. Like this, this isn't safe. And I was like, well, where is the evidence that says that I'm not safe? We are an evidence-based practice. Yes. Show me where it says that I can't do the job. And if you can't find it, then at least let me prove that I can do it. And then we can discuss whatever needs to be changed later. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so you being like a public speaker, like an advocate, what are some of the, the tips that, that you offer for, for nurses that are struggling with like a disability and trying to be, become nurses? Like, how do you, how do you help them get, get through it so they could kind of achieve what you've achieved? Well, at first, know your own limitations, right? You have to know what your limitations are and how far you're willing to push past them. Uh, because someone's going to look at you and put their own limitations on you. And you have to know that your limitations don't stop on what someone else's perceptions are, right? You need to know how those no's are going to affect you because obviously every no is going to come as like a dagger and it's going to hurt. And you just need to know how you're going to get over those, right? If you're going to stay stuck by one no, then nursing obviously isn't going to be for you because we hear no just as nurses all the time, right? So we advocate for ourselves all the time we advocate for our own patients so if you don't know your own limitations there's no way that you're going to be able to advocate for someone else's and their own limitations and how they're going to push past that mm-hmm. right so definitely key to know those limitations and know how you're going to overcome those limitations especially when perceptions are ever shifting uh, the second part of that is just making sure that you know the law and what laws are behind you so if you are going to be accepted into a program, know that if you're accepted, they can no longer deny you've already been accepted, right? So now they have to make those accommodations 110%, no matter what, because the ADA covers everything in education. When it goes into the workforce, it's a little bit different. It now becomes reasonable accommodation. So know how those laws also help back you up. Whereas for me right now, I'm still facing the same discrimination that I kind of faced when I was in school, right? Even though I've worked in different fields i've done clinicals i've proven that i can do the job reasonable accommodation doesn't exactly fit every scenario we know that it will fit for someone who needs to take 10 minutes to uh, do their diabetes glucose monitoring we know that they they make accommodations for women who need to breastfeed or pump throughout the the workday we know that there's uh, accommodations for people who can't lift 50 pounds right but a reasonable accommodation for someone who has a disability might look a little differently, especially with the limitations that you have for yourself uh, and how you need to be able to work in, a, in an environment. So knowing them and how you work together with accommodations uh, and how you present to HR definitely changes and shifts for every person. So you, you kind of paved the way for yourself in, in the unknown, right? You kind of had to make your own path, make your own trail. No, You didn't have any like role models in a way to kind of like look at correct so because of the knowledge that you've gained through all this how are you advocating for the future nurses that are going to be going into the field with a potential disability so my advocating right now really is based on one programs not turning away people with disabilities whether they have a hearing impairment limb difference amputation they're in a seated position like i am like don't turn them away. Like nursing is so multifaceted that we don't have the luxury of turning away nurses at the door, right? We really don't. We're coming up on a shortage. We don't want this shortage to be even worse, especially when people with disabilities are the largest and fastest growing minority in the world. That means that people with disabilities are going to be coming to the programs in droves because that's what they know. That's where their family has been. You know, they know that they're capable of doing it. And maybe it's just a love of nursing. Some of us have that innate instinct to be a nurse when we're young and then we grow into that as we're older. I didn't have that. I grew into nursing a little bit later, but for some, nursing is like that passion that burns from three years old, right? And are we really gonna turn them away at the door? Like that doesn't make sense. 
especially when we have informatics, we have desk nursing, we have case management. And for those nurses that want to be at the bedside, it's learning what those accommodations will look like and how do we uh, ensure that those accommodations play out in a safe manner. Because we all know that our staffing ratios are astronomical, right? We don't have safe staffing. We don't have reasonable accommodations just for able nurses, right? And how the some nurses can't do CPR. Some nurses can't run down a hallway. Some nurses really can't lift 50 pounds. But then you're looking at me as someone who has a physical disability automatically putting pre, um, preconceived notions on top of me saying that, oh, she can't do it, but you don't know my ability. And then you're putting me up against someone who you're saying does have these capabilities, but you really don't know. You're just judging off the fact that they're standing up mm-hmm. or judging off of the fact that they have, you know, four working limbs. Maybe they don't all work correctly, but you're assuming that they have four working limbs, right? So the advocacy really just spans for everyone because now let's say you acquire a disability on the job at a travel contract. How does that play out for the rest of your career? Are you just going to be shoved behind a desk? What if you're more than capable of going back to the bedside? Mm-hmm. What do those accommodations look like? And safe, safe nursing ratios, staffing ratios, making sure that we have a reasonable amount of patients to nurses also plays a big role in that. Why are we giving nurses eight patients when they have multiple comorbidities all the time? <laughs> I, I, I love it. It's like you're giving a voice to us to empower us because we, you know, we as nurses, we always get the short end of the stick, right? And we're always getting tossed around. And I hope, you know, for the future generations and it's 2020 now, I, I think we do need a little bit more empowerment, especially after dealing with the whole COVID storm, you know, that we need to, we need to change healthcare. And it all starts from us because we are the front line, just like your shirt says, right? Uh, <laughs> um, you, you have amazing mental toughness. I'm wondering, like, where did you find your inspiration at an early age or who did you kind of look up to with everything that was happening in your life? Uh, my mental toughness comes from my parents. And I'll be completely honest there, you know, not to sound cliche or anything, but my parents are, are immigrants. They came to this country and at a young age, my parents were facing a child that acquired a disability, right? And here my parents are trying to make it in the world, trying to set a life, the American dream life, right? And now their daughter is facing a disability that is going to be life-changing to both of them. And they had to deal with it. They had to figure it out. And at a young age, my parents said to me, like, if I don't figure it out, like as if they weren't there, then who was going to help me? Right. So it came from them trying to say, okay, there's, there's a flight of steps. What's going to happen if no one's there to get you down or get you up? What do you do? You know, and, my parents were always there to like support me and pick me up when I was down, but they were really strict on making sure that I got a job at 14 and that, you know, my grades were high and that when uh, I was sick and I needed to take care of myself, like what action was I going to put in place to ensure that, you know, I was taken care of and making sure that God forbid they weren't here tomorrow, that I had a plan and that I knew what I was doing and that there was going to be a team around me that I put into place because they gave me those directions uh, from the very beginning, knowing that, you know, God forbid they left this earth tomorrow that I needed to be taken care of. And if someone wasn't there that I could do it for myself. Yeah. We're we're very similar because we're immigrants as well. We came from Poland and like our parents main goal was 
No, once you're once you're 16 or 15, you get a job, and then once you get a job, you, you go to school and you get ed- education. Because our, our parents didn't go past high school, so they didn't really have any kind of further education. They just do like manual labor jobs and, and things like that. My question for you is: Is there anything that you do outside of work, like reading or working out, that kind of you just train like your like your mental strength and like your physical strength? Because I'm sure you deal a lot in the hospital with like different looks or even outside in society. I'm sure people look at you, look at you differently. How do you get like past those eyes? Do you like, do you listen to like Tony Robbins, anything like that? So I work out. So Mm -hmm. when I was going for nursing, uh, I took a boxing because I knew that I was going to need the stamina to be able to lift patients, do chest compressions from the seated position, right? Boxing is just one of those workouts. Uh, Before that I was doing rowing. So I wanted to, I was rowing in regattas, rowing, hopefully going to the Paralympics. Uh, That was like just a mental like training uh, set for me. Now, uh, post COVID, I'm still working out, still training on a mental set that, you know, I need to be stronger every day. Uh, But outside of that, I read a lot. So I am currently reading uh, The Best Speeches of Obama. Because just the way he speaks, how he's able to pull together words and just be impactful. Let's forget about his presidency or anything political. Just the way he's able to speak, the way he's able to convey thoughts and and thought process. You have to give him credit there. And so I've been reading a lot of his work there just because of the fact that it's been inspirational. And I want to be able to not only tap into that for myself and my own mental ability, but also be able to convey that for someone else. Mm -hmm. I love it. My question to you. Oh, by the way. So before the interview, we did some prep and I saw your Instagram with like doing the, um, the, what is it called? Those rope, the bands, the bands, the bands, things for the back and stuff. So we see you're getting it. Definitely. Um, question. I'm kind of curious on how your shift is inside the hospital setting. Like it must be so much more different with, you know, everything that you're facing. I'm just curious on your routine, the things that you do and maybe some difficulties that you're facing as a floor nurse. So let's see, a typical day for me going in, I usually go in about a half an hour early. I think we all do. So let's say maybe 45 minutes early for me instead of a half hour. Uh, I kind of go in, see who my continuity of care is going to be, go in, just look at the room, just to make sure the room setup is good for me to be able to roll around. You know, sometimes beds shift and I might be tighter spacing on another side. So I'll pull whoever's going off shift or if we're doing report, I set uh, the room up the way I like it before uh, off going shift leaves. That way I'm not interrupting anyone else who's getting report, right? Um, Then I will make sure that my wow is stocked, like flushes, lines, uh, saline bags, just so that I don't have to keep running to the supply room to get things. And if things are too high, it's a perfect opportunity for me to like get an off going shift uh, nurse to be like, hey, do you mind just grabbing stuff that's on the top shelf for me. Um, sometimes we can't reach them. And obviously, I'm not going to be using a step ladder. So um, it's good to just get some hands that are going off. And I'm not uh, interrupting anyone who is coming on. Uh, and then from there, I'm pretty well situated. I don't need too much help while I'm on the floor. Uh, I can reach a Pixis. I can, you know, wows go up and down in, in the hospital settings out here. I'm pretty sure they go up and down other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And or, you know, you sit at a desk and, and, you know, I wipe down my desk and make sure that everything is clean. And, you know, you mark your territory like we all do. Mm, definitely. <laughs> like, don't touch my desk for the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so you, you mentioned like, um, have you ever had to do compressions? I have had curious. to do compressions, yeah. And is that super hard? Because like, if, for me, they're hard. And for Matt, they're even harder because, you know, I'm clearly bigger than Matt, you know? <laughs> so I, I can imagine how hard it was. Like, it, it's like I was, like, how I was racing, like, even because we have these whoop bands. And even yeah, like right. my whoop and my phone and my Apple Watch not, notify me that, hey, like, you know, are you taking on a strenuous activity? Yeah. Like, how is that for you? It's the same way. My my Apple Watch will go off. I'm pretty strong. I don't know if you see these guns right here. Damn, biceps over there. Watch out. Welcome to the gun show. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, from the seated position, it's definitely definitely harder. You're doing deadlifts. So if you are sitting and doing deadlifts with like a 30-pound weight, try it. Mm. Go for it. Um, because that's about the force that you're putting down onto someone's chest is about 30 to 40 pounds, hoping that you're not breaking through their rib cage, right? Um, but just like anyone else, right? So you're going to work as a team. You're not just doing it by yourself for 10 minutes, right? If you're getting tired, you're going to ask someone else to, to step in. Usually if I'm initiating CPR, like I have had to do, uh, the next person's coming in and automatically re relieving you right? Because you initiate it. And now you're moving on to the next step, whether if you're the, the overseeing nurse for that patient, you're now going into making sure that the doctors have adequate report, mm -hmm. right? What's going on. So it's all teamwork. Remember nursing is you're never alone in nursing. I think people forget that. Okay. If you're doing CPR, you're the only one doing CPR in the whole hospital. Unlikely. <laughs> How do you press like the code of blue button in that case? Do you have like a special device for yourself because of, you know, the, the hardship you're facing? Nope. I am able to press it off of the wall or some of the beds like the Hillrom beds or the Scantron beds in here in New York actually have the code blue button on the bed. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's convenient much. because most places that's uh, all the way in the back of the head of the bed mm -hmm. and it's oh, most ours is on the wall. Like ours is like, like probably like maybe like waist height. You just click it okay. on the wall. The places I worked at super inconvenient. Even the IC, one of them had like the, um, they're called, I forgot what they're called. They're like these crane things that come from the wall and they have like these different poles. I'm, I'm not making sense now. I don't know. But anyways, it, it's, it's difficult for me to press the damn button. You know, I can imagine other people. So, well, if, if there were, um, there are things like grippers or like, uh, hook poles that I've seen other nurses with disabilities use that all they do is just hook it. <laughs> like they okay. Just the button, right. Most of them have them lined up in the rooms that they're going into. Mm -hmm. um and they store them away in like a, a storage room when they're not working mm -hmm. you know and they know the other nurses know oh yeah that's so and so stuff like they don't touch it or they leave them in their lockers it all depends every nurse has a different system and for me it's the same way every time i go into a room i just set it the way that i needed to if i needed to get to that blue button and i knew that maybe the bed was a little too far left i'm gonna push it a little bit more right so that i can get to that blue button <laughs> worst case scenario you just kind of like you know, peek out of the room, you see that blank face, hey, I need some help, and people know you got to run in and help. Yeah. So with your public speaking, are you still doing any? Like, do you have, like, your own conferences, or do you, do you speak for different hospitals or, or facilities? How does that I'm work? speaking for a lot of just organizations, um, not so much healthcare-wise, but disability-wise. I'm still doing a lot of uh, speaking after you guys. I have one coming up. <laughs> and, you know, I had been slowed down because of COVID, but I'm pretty sure they'll pick up as, as we start to figure out uh, what our new norm is gonna be, right? And making sure that we can safely do it. Zoom is one thing, we can all talk on Zoom, but being face-to-face -face with someone and having them really interact with me at the end of being able to speak about a journey is completely different because I feel like there's a connection that's made that's deeper than sometimes what we can get over the screen. 
Agreed. Are, are they like live where anybody could tune into them? Like if you want to like, like drop in, is that, is that possible or is it more like a private event kind of thing? Most of them are private events or that you have to pre-register to get into. I've only done two that were like live events. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them I have done like on Instagram or Facebook lives, like, you know, just on a, on a whim where someone's like, please hop on and speak about these certain things. Uh, and I do mention them mostly on my uh, Instagram page on the seated nurse or on Facebook's the seated nurse page to make sure that people have access to it. But a lot of them are registration. Okay, that's cool. Do you feel more exhausted after working like a 12 hour shift because of no? Not at all. I'm sitting down for 12 hours. Okay, guys, I am sitting mm-hmm. down. My butt is on a nice air cushion. <laughs> I lock it in place. My yeah. arms are already used to rolling around for 18 plus hours a day, um, the same movement because of the fact that I lift my own body weight multiple times a day. I lift my chair in and out of my car. You know, I'm used to certain movements no matter what. Even when dealing with patients pushing, pulling, these are all natural movements to my disability versus you guys who are standing up for 12 hours running around. I'm like, I look at people who are running around on the floor and I'm like, oh man, you guys are tired. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, I'm just going to roll down the hall. And for me, that's normal. Like if I were rolling down the block, like... <laughs> that's awesome because sometimes like I've worked med surgery before now I do ICU and it's like you know you have those patients that you go in and out of the room sometimes two three times you know they need a straw then they need applesauce and then it, then all of a sudden pain started coming back so now you gotta go get the pain pill and it's like you know I could I, I get exhausted from that you know not including another patient's already asking for something so I could imagine you where you have to you know roll around multiple times and you know you got to get the job done Listen, I told you I work out. So these are movements to me that are automatic from my lifestyle. I'm not like, I'm already going back and forth in my house 20,000 times. Like, oh, I forgot this. I forgot that. Or if I'm cooking, I'm going from the fridge to the stove, to the pantry, to the table. Like these are all rolling movements. It's natural movement for me to do. So whether or not I'm at work or I'm at home, it's the same movement. So I'm not more tired than anyone else. Whereas you guys are walking around. You guys are not used to being up for 12 hours straight, just moving back and forth right you guys are used to having a break I'm, I don't get that luxury my arms are in constant motion that is the way that I move around mm-hmm. so yeah you guys are gonna definitely be tired where I'm sitting there like fresh faced right after a shift <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so Andrea for like your, your days off what do you enjoy doing do you have any like cool hobbies do you like making cheesecake Matt's gonna make cheesecake today I think so that's why I popped this in my head so we saw she get commercial there was like a like a little eight-year-old kid making cheesecake and make it seem so easy so easy that's what that's what the ad was he's like i'm only nine and this is easy yeah <laughs> if i burn well, it <laughs> if you're gonna make cheesecake can i get a piece i was send it, send it through the mail Got through it. usps if they're doing mail and voting i'm sure they could do mail and cheesecaking cheesecake no? well let's make sure that there's some dry ice we keep it good <laughs> oh, all right all right i forgot about that yeah <laughs> so what do you what do you do for fun like on your days off like your hobbies Maybe some someone we were tackling anything special. So I love to cook. Uh, so recently on my Instagram, I have been just posting what my meals look like throughout the day, what I'm cooking, meal prepping. Those are things that I just find um, mental like reprieve. Like I don't have to think about it. It's something that I am natural at doing. It's stuff that I love to eat. So you know, and who doesn't like to eat anyway, right? And you finish cooking and you get to taste your food and you're like, mmm. So I love to cook. That is definitely a big hobby of mine, looking up recipes, learning from like different uh, 
cooking uh, shows, trying out different recipes, making my father eat everything that I make so he tells me if it's good or not. <laughs> uh, outside of that, uh, like I said before, I love to read. So big reader, love to escape through reading. Uh, and the mon- more fun side of all of that is playing Xbox. So I am mm-hmm. a gamer. <laughs> uh-huh. We're more, we, we do PS4. We're not very Xboxing in, 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 the, in our thing, but <laughs> <laughs> not to talk shit, but yeah, do you, what do you play, like Call of Duty? Call of Duty, yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. We're, about, we're about to hop on around one of these days because, you know, Call of Duty is a multi-system. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do, like, Twitch streaming or anything, or it's just, that's your, just your hobby? It's just a hobby. Mm-hmm. I've never done the streaming or anything else. I just get on, especially, like, a stressful day, something that I had no control over. You know, you have control over a game, right? So, like, get on a game, run a map fun times <laughs> she said run a match yeah, she knows, she knows what's happening like it's crazy how there's so much like vulgarity from from little kids on call of duty like sometimes <laughs> a kid like this young kid will talk so much shit you're like you don't know what to say back like you're trying to talk shit back and you just you just don't know what to say because he's just hitting you so hard with those disses you're just like yeah i'm just gonna pretend like my mic is dead <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be great but yeah if you ever thought about like streaming uh streaming on twitch have you ever like looked up twitch or anything like that I haven't, but now after this, I'm going to have to, huh? Yeah, that's something me and Peter are working on right now. We, like, um, use Streamlabs, and we kind of set up our um, background. And uh, for the future, we're trying to make our interviews completely live. So, meaning they're going to be live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook. And as well, you could also hop on as well and game up and do other things. So, yeah. Okay. Or we can make a recipe book. You call it the the Seated Chef, like your Instagram, Seated Nurse, that you just the chef. Now we're getting into entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not packing that day. I'm making a copyright. So if you want, you got to buy it off me. Okay. Yeah. Make sure you uh, purchase a .com URL right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> real quick. Uh, I'm wondering, so do you meditate or anything? Like, where, what do you think, if you were to tell another nurse, what are, like, the biggest things from, like, the mental standpoint that maybe you need to becoming a nurse, getting into nursing, or facing any um, hardships? So that's where working out for me uh, really grew my mental stability, right? When you're working out and you start to feel that burn, you're automatically wanting to give up. You automatically want to stop, right? And when you have a goal in mind, you push past that burn, right? So for me, meditation is just when I'm working out, right? I'm really thinking about how am I going to push past that burn, especially when it's getting more intense and more intense and you just really want to drop that weight or you really just want to stop for you guys it would be running for me it would be like stop rolling stop pushing against turf like i'm over it um it's like okay you know i can do this and i can do this and stop saying i can't because once you put out those words i can't then you can't you you can't do anything you're putting that out into the universe so i'm very careful about the words that I'm using, especially when it comes to me and what I am able to do and making sure that people around me are using um, words that are affirmative versus negative, right? We're not looking at things as in a negative sense. We really are trying to figure out how to best make sure that something can happen, right? And if you're really thinking that something can't happen, then you're never going to think about the possibilities that can make it happen, Mm. right? We're going to automatically close the door to it. So someone who's wanting to be a nurse or wanting to live a dream like start putting out those those affirmations that those that dream is going to happen those those things are going to happen and how you're going to achieve them and the only way to know how you're going to achieve them is if you fail 
mm-hmm. right? Because then you've tried something and it didn't work. So now you got to try something else. And if you say, oh, I can't do this, then you're not going to try something else. It's going to be stopped right at the first time. That, that's what I always wonder is like, why are we so predisposed to like negativity? Because you're very self-aware of this, right? When, when you talk to other people, you know when they're being negative or they're putting themselves down. A lot of people are not aware of this. And I, I wonder why it's such a, you know, a human behavior to always feed off negativity. You know, even um, the Facebook algorithm, they, there was a study that showed that people crave negativity. The posts that are more negative-based get more likes and shares and comments. So why, why as a society we have this issue where we're just latching onto negativity? Yeah, it's crazy because like, like you, you guys talk about the, the mental aspect, like you can remember more vividly, more clearly when someone hurt you compared to when they made you happy. Yeah, it's like, it's a computer completely right. Like, I don't know why we hold on to this negativity and these negative thoughts over like, like positive thoughts. Like it's, I'm not sure if it's like a, like an evolutionary thing or, or a thing about negativity kind of made us survive longer because we're more, more defensive, but it's, it's actually really interesting to like think about me do some research on it. Yeah. Mm. that would be good research but i think that just in general we yeah we do thrive off of negativity but negativity is everywhere because we're based on numbers our whole society is based on our our value point how much value do you bring and if you don't bring it then bye we're moving on past you Mm. versus actually cherishing someone's differences different worths different value points right we're not valuing the people at the bottom we're valuing the one percent at the top we're not valuing um the jobs that like a garbage man versus someone who's a doctor the garbage man is just as important as the doctor right we don't place a value on just human life and experience we're placing a value on what you bring versus just looking at someone else and saying you deserve to live the life that you want to live and however you want to live that life and not us saying that you can't live that life because of whatever preconceived notions that we have about that person, right? So when you are already predisposed to negativity because of the value that's placed on you, then we're going to thrive off of that. And that was like my next question I kind of wanted to ask is other than like everything you're advocating for and like disability, what else do you want to see maybe for the world or maybe for the healthcare system? But it seems like that's one of, that's one of those aspects, right? Definitely one of those aspects. Uh, I think the other part of that, like if I had the one wish, like one wish, what would it be? Uh, It's a two part wish. So the first part of it is to, you know, understand that differences bring a value, right? And understand that means that in the healthcare world, no one's turned away from whatever profession based on a disability or something that might be conceived as an inability because we don't know what their uh, perception is gonna bring to someone else. Right. If the healthcare industry is all full of able bodied people, people who are able to do everything without any setbacks, then what is the, what is that putting out into the world? We're not taking care of people who are 100 percent OK, but if only we're 100 percent OK, then they're going home thinking that life is over. They're going home thinking that at the moment that they're being cared for and the moment that they survive or get through their diagnosis, that that's it because life is ending, I no longer have value because I need to be 100% fully functioning in order to bring value to the table. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that, right? And then the other part of that is if we were to have like a medical model uh, that starts in school that actually allows for people with different disabilities and abilities to come together and create a educational platform that, that transcends just school and goes into the working profession. 
I think that's something that's huge right now is our school system, right? Because, you know, we're dealing with like minorities and, you know, um, here in Chicago, we have a huge issue with, um, with like, you know, that, the, um, the part of the system where schools are being closed, opening up charter schools. And, you know, just like you mentioned, we don't, we don't get learned how to balance a checkbook or how to do this credit cards, credit scores, none of that, you know, we're, we're just being told on how to solve problems. You know, we never ask to, you know, we're not told, Hey, how do you feel about this? Everything is about, this is the right way to do it. Obey your authority. And I hope we have a, ch a change in our educational system, not only for that, but to provide education for the people that are not educated or the parents that are not educated, you know, because that's where our issues are stemming in society. Like you have a family that's low income, you know, they raise kids and they kind of raise them the same way that they were taught, you know, and they, and they don't know any better. So then those kids are going about things and doing the same thing. They raise kids and it's like this domino effect. We, we need to kind of pierce society in like the low income and help them, you know, and we're only kind of focused on, just like you mentioned, the, the, the rich and what's happening and they're just being left, you know, left aside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Have you ever uh, like felt burnout, Andrew? Because we talked about uh, like the medical model and viewing the patient more as like a disease process and just trying to solve the problem. Because I feel like burnout plays a big role into that. I feel when nurses are are more burnt out, they're less social to their patient patients and are more just stuck in a routine where assessment, meds, and then whatever the disease process is. We like lose that that connection where it, where each kind of patient is standardized with their disease instead of being like one unique individual. Have you ever like felt burnt out? And what do you do to get out of that burnt out phase? So I haven't felt burnt out within working in nursing. Wait, I backtrack. I did when I was the case manager, uh, doing case management because for someone with a disability and knowing what case management actually means to that person, getting the equipment that they need in home, getting PT, OT, podiatry, whatever it is within the home service, and then being denied like with Medicaid, Medicare, knowing that that was a potential for my own life at some point, I, it, it killed me to refer denials over to the patient. I could not do that job. Like those nurses that do that, man, I, I understand the jadedness that comes from it, you know, because it's the job, but it, I, I burnt out quickly within seven months. I was out. I couldn't do it. Uh, but then on the flip side of that right now, I've been facing a lot of burnout, just going through the interview process and hoping and praying that, you know, I got the opportunity to work on a floor, right? I was able to get a contract during COVID. I worked as an ICU float nurse. I worked on, you know, a med surge unit. I worked on a clean unit. I worked on a COVID unit. And here I am post-COVID here in New York, and I can't get a job on a hospital unit because I'm back to square one where people are looking at me like I'm incapable or I'm an infection risk. Or the moment I'm rolling into the interview, there's automatically this notion that I can't do the job or I might need too many accommodations. Why put me at the forefront when they can get another nurse that's perfectly capable of doing everything without an accommodation? whether if they know I need accommodations or not. So, you know, I've been facing a lot of that burnout just more recently and just saying, you know what, I needed to stop interviewing because it was taxing my own mental health. I realized that I can no longer just keep going into these interviews and trying to prove myself and keep getting these no's. I went through 76 interviews before COVID oh. and I'm already up to 100 if you wanted to add them all up now post-COVID. 
And I'm like, why am I still in the same boat when I've already been given the opportunity and already was able to prove that I can do the job? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's discrimination. That's, that's unfair. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is how can we you know, solve that? Yeah, it's crazy how in the medical field, like we can't adapt to something like this. Like it, it's a while I think about like, I, I'm not sure if it's like a financial burden. It's, it's ridiculous. Like we're medical professionals, like we're there to serve everyone. And we, like, we can't even, or managers can't, managers or corporations or hospitals can't even like serve their, their, their nurses. Like it's crazy to think about. Like we're in a field where everyone's accepted, you know, and we tell our patients like everything's going to be okay. We just have to, have to adjust this in, in your life. And, but like on the, on the, on the back end or on the flip side, like hospitals don't want to adjust themselves. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. Like, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Lots of words. Lots of words. Have, um, you know, the whole f- uh, term, you know, nurses eat their young. Yeah. Did you, did you have to face that at all as a floor nurse, especially being a new grad and especially with everything that you have to deal with? I uh, think that my personality was able to address the elephant in the room before uh, I was able to be eaten, so to speak. Love it. Because, like, I know how to really have the persona to say, well, you can't talk to me any way you want to, but I am here to learn. And I'm also going to stop you from throwing preconceived notions onto me before you throw them. Like, we're not going to have this conversation. Please allow me to have the communication with you before you try to, you know, slam me or try to say like, you know, I'm doing too much. Like I can tell you one night for sure where we were so super short staffed and I had, I, I had 10, 10 patients plus an admission coming and we were all just slammed. There was only three nurses on the floor, 30, 30 beds. Like think about that, right. And then about to get 31 and I was getting the 31st patient and you know, I turned around and even though I had so many patients and doing an admission, I kept asking all of the other nurses, do you need help? Right. I know that I'm overwhelmed, but I'm still asking if you need help. So that kind of levels the playing field now. Right. So if you're not asking me if I need help, then I already know that you're one of those people that just cannot handle working as a team. Hmm. Right. So therefore, if you can't work as a team, this shift is going to be hell, right? We know that. Uh, and when I'm that type of person to ask if you need help first, nine times out of 10, that person's going to turn around and see that I'm doing something or see that my hands are full and say, hey, do you need help, right? It's kind of the shift. If you are willing to give, you're going to get back. And I do that from the very beginning of getting onto the floor. Like you just, that's it. That's the way that I approach it and hope that others approach it back. Yeah, it's a good mindset because there's a handful of nurses that just like, the whole 12 hour shift, they just sit there, do their thing, don't talk to anybody, don't ask for anybody's help. And like, that's probably a boring way to nurse, to be honest. Honestly, that's the best way to do it when you're uh, a travel nurse, because you know, you're kind of like the oddball out. They know you're getting paid more usually. So they're kind of already kind of looking at you. And you know, you get tossed around as a travel nurse. So I usually like to do that all the damn time. I'll ask everybody in the whole unit, you need help, you need something. And that establishes, just like you said, that kind of relationship where, you know, you begin to work more as a team and your differences are set aside or whatever the case might be in the past. And uh, it's an amazing feeling, you know, and, and as you know, you know, you hop on shift and you know, those nurses that you work with that have an awesome teamwork and you're already kind of smiling, you could kind of giggle and you know, it's going to be a better shift because of the people you're with. Yeah. And it breaks the ice. Yes. Like, you know, it's hard to 
like start first impressions. People are always hesitant if, if, if like you're new to talk to anybody, but it's a lot easier when you just look at somebody and say, hi, that's where you're already opening up a conversation. So that, that's where you're showing you that, Hey, I'm open to you talking to me. I'm open to helping you. And just, just I'm open to like being with you for the most part. So that's why even saying hi, go, go such a long way. Just the eye contact saying hi, just opening up that communication. Oh yeah. My, my nurses that I work with uh, during my contract can tell you every night, uh, the, the night shift nurses used to get the short end of the stick. We didn't get the food and all the hot meals. So I used to bring all the snacks. We had everything. My nurses always knew that I was coming with a big bag of food that we were going to get through the night with something to eat. Like we didn't have to worry about the cafeteria being closed or going to a vending machine. Like there was always food because I always brought it. <laughs> like the, no the snack what. plug. Yep. <laughs> we got along very well. They hated me because they're all like, oh, I'm going to gain weight, but love me because they knew that there was always food. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, Andrea, what days are you working? Yep. How long am I scheduled with you? <laughs> yeah. Andrea, open mic. Any questions for us? Anything you want to say? Uh, I don't have any real things to say. I just hope that, you know, if anyone is facing any amount of adversity in their job, that they, they speak up right? Don't sit idle. Don't just take what someone is telling you as, as face, don't take it at face value. Um, dig deeper. Uh, don't, you know, allow someone to just push you out of your career. I know a lot of older nurses right now are feeling pushed out of a career that they love. Don't, don't settle for what other people are telling you. Um, make a way for yourself, you know, speak up, know what laws protect you, um, know how to, transition out of a career that you want to transition out of or stay within the career that you want to stay within and how it's going to work for you. Um, I think that oftentimes we're not given that empowerment enough to be able to speak up for ourselves. And we're often told like, okay, well, if you don't like it, just move on. Sometimes we don't have that option. So if you don't have the option to just move on, learn what protects you understand you know where you might be more valued in that facility um maybe it's not the facility for you and you need to create your own path right but either way just never take no for the final answer unless you're telling yourself no awesome truly, truly an inspiration to be honest yeah yeah thank you so much andrea if anybody wants to reach out to you with any questions comments concerns where could they where could they find you they can find me at the seated nurse uh online on instagram the website is coming soon so stay tuned for that and then on instagram as well known as the seated nurse or if you google andrea dalzell i'm pretty sure you'll find my face is very prominent i promise <laughs> that's awesome i feel like everyone's making a website like we're working on a website the last like three or four two or three or 12 interviews we had everyone's making a website so it's about to get crowded out there yeah. all these nurses and, I, and i'm gonna follow you just so i can look at all the recipes that you make just so i can get some ideas do it because <laughs> i don't want to burn my cheesecake today yeah you better not you're <laughs> upset you're gonna remake it in front of me mm -hmm. all right andrea it was a pleasure talking to you oh it was a great talking to you guys also thank you so much take care take care